go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Green Dot EAA's podcast coming to you from our headquarters here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'm Hal Bryan. I'm senior editor on the publications and content team. And with me over here to my left is... I'm Chris Henry, the EA Museum Programs Representative. And there across the table... Tom Charpentier, Government Relations Director. Now, uh, once again, we're uh, very lucky to have a special guest with us uh, today. He's really a man who, uh, to our audience, should need no introduction, but uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to just stop talking. Uh, his name is Richard Van Grunsven. If you've ever seen, built, flown, uh, or otherwise aware of an RV, he is the RV and RV founder and the man behind Vans Aircraft. And uh, as, a, as a trivia side note, um, I've, uh, I've crossed paths with the Van Grunsven family a few times over the years. Uh, Dick's niece, uh, Denise, was my very first flight instructor when I was about 15 years old. And uh, his uh, nephew, Mark, was... Uh, I believe the term was uh, cadet commander of the Air Force ROTC group that I was involved in uh, for about a year in, uh, in college. So uh, anyway, was happy to be neighbors of, uh, of Dick's brother Jerry as a kid. Anyway, Dick, welcome. Thank you very much for coming here today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're certainly glad to have you. You're one of those people in, uh, in, uh, in the aviation world, certainly in the, in the experimental amateur-built community, um, I'm, not just, I'm not being flattering when I say I think everybody knows, knows your name. Everybody knows what an RV is. And, uh, and knows who Vans Aircraft is. But um, I'm wondering if we can go back, uh, sort of go back to the very beginning and say, can you tell us about uh, your first involvement with aviation? Were you into aviation as a kid? Did you always want to fly? Those sorts of things. Basically, yes. Um, I had a brother slightly older. You already mentioned Brother Jerry, a year and a half older than myself. And we were both interested in aviation as kids. We had a little further incentive. Our father had flown a little in the 1930s when he was um, like in his mid-20s or so, but had to give that up because of uh, finances, which particularly in Depression era, sure. a lot of people did never really got back to it. But uh, he would tell stories about flying from a little country airport, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, that helped to fuel our interest, I'm pretty sure. Oh, but uh, otherwise... For some reason, we just had the bug, read what we could, built model airplanes, you name it, the, the <laughs> typical uh, enthusiastic kid. Do you remember your, uh, your first flight? Actually, I had the first flight when I was about eight years old, and we'd driven to the nearby airport, and uh, instructor that my father had flown with years before, uh, along with a partner, had a flight service there, and Dad and I went up probably in a Piper J-5. I really don't know what it was for a short flight around the country. Uh, that's great. And when did you start learning yourself? I started learning when I was 15. My older brother had preceded me and had got a private license. And shortly after that, Dad bought a J-3 Cub for us for a princely sum of $750. <laughs> that's a lot more than that now, obviously, yeah, in, in, inflation being what it is. But anyway, by the time I started flying at um, uh, prior to my 16th birthday, we had the Cub, and uh, we had the airplane then based on a short strip on our farm. And so my brother Jerry would fly me to the airport where the instructor was. I would take a lesson and fly home again. <laughs> That's great. Was this out in Oregon still? Yes, it was. Uh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you'd been there your whole life or not. So Yes. 
So, Dick, can you tell us a little bit about um, the education, educational background that you had before you um, you came into building airplanes? Um, I understand you uh, you went to engineering school. Yeah, I have a degree in general engineering from the University of Portland in uh, well, Portland, Oregon, and uh, no particular uh, studies in uh, aircraft design at all. But uh, being basically a mechanical engineer, I had the ability to well, with a little self-study, to do some you know, stress analysis and um, some aerodynamic computations as well uh, as I started my early designs. And I understand you were in the Air Force, is that correct? I was in the Air Force. I went through Air Force ROTC at the University of Portland, but I was not a pilot. I have a minor color vision deficiency, and that just precluded that. So I just spent um, the minimum three-year tour and um, became a civilian. What did you end up doing in the Air Force? They assigned me to base communications which I have just about no interest in. <laughs> but, you know, that's where Uncle needed me, so that's what we did for three years, uh, during which time, though I, I was appointed an extra duty of overseeing the base aero club because of my background. I already had a flight instructors by that time. So I did some instructing off-duty and... Um, uh, got really started in home building or at least rebuilding during that three-year period. And about what uh, what years were those? 1962 through 64. Okay. This, uh, I, I see in our database uh, it, uh, it says you joined EAA in 1964. Does that sound about right? Actually not. I joined in about 57. Wow, that much earlier. And um, number is 3204, so you can <laughs> so check that's, on that. That's pretty low. <laughs> Well, maybe I may have misread that. Uh, misread that as well. I think <clears throat> maybe that uh, my first—I wouldn't say that either. The Portland chapter of EAA was founded in around '62, uh, while I was away in the Air Force. Right. But I had been involved with uh, Eugene, Oregon chapter 31. Okay. Even before that, so those are pretty low chapter numbers as well. Absolutely. So, what was it that uh, you know? What was your path to get to EAA? How did you hear about it, or? You know, what? why did you join? Well, and I'm not trying to make a commercial here. Just no, I had, I had been interested in home-built airplanes even before I flew because the little uh, field airport that my father had learned to fly at during the 1930s was involved in home building. Uh, a man named Leslie Long, who is really one of the fathers of home building and... Uh, kind of, uh, uh, I don't know exactly how, how to explain it, but one of his protégés was George Bogardus, the man who flew to Washington uh, in 1947 right. and got the CAA to permit the, well, amateur-built aircraft to fly as experimental. So basically, I knew about home building because uh, my dad had actually flown one of Long's home builds. That was part of their training fleet wow. at the time. And then when EAA came along, uh, had relatively little publicity in the early to mid-50s, but I read everything I could on it. And then when the Chapter 31 in Eugene was formed, um, I forget what year, uh, 56 or 57, for almost every month for a year, I would uh, fly down there and our 
Taylor Craft to attend their meetings. That's great. That's excellent. So we're uh, sitting here in the recording studio about, uh, you know, not too, not too far down the hallway from where the, uh, the RV-1, the recently restored RV-1, now hangs in our museum. Can you tell us a little bit about um, kind of what led to that aircraft? I understand that it was, um, it, it basically evolved from a Stitz Playboy, is that correct? Yeah, it was a pretty stock Stitz Playboy that um, I had purchased the airframe uh, when I was um, in the Air Force and had modified it a little bit, put a bubble canopy on it and a bigger 125-horse Lycoming GPU engine and changed wingtips, little things that really didn't have much effect other than on appearance. Um, and I took the airplane with me when I retired back to Oregon. But I uh, loved the way it flew, but I knew that it could do a lot better. Uh, analyzed what uh, was making it work or not work, and uh, about a year later, uh, I designed a set of uh, metal cantilever wings to replace the strut-braced wood fabric wings that were on it. Otherwise, about the same configuration or plan form, but uh, because of uh, the reduction in drag from the cantilever wing and putting flaps on it, which the original airplane didn't have, changing a few other things, reducing some trim drag, reducing weight, it was just a far, far superior airplane. So I flew that for three years or so and accumulated oh, 500 hours or more in that time. I flew a lot. So the RV-1 eventually evolved essentially to the RV-3, although the RV-3 is more of a clean sheet design, right? It, it evolved from it. I, uh, during those years, that it, several years that I was flying it, I kept upgrading it a bit, uh, changing the cowling and a few other things to make it a little lower drag and, um, if nothing else, looked nicer, but uh, realized that it was still really uh, uh, a hybrid airplane in a way. And, uh, and knowing that it uh, was basically a very good performer that uh, used the same overall plan form and configuration, but then designed a new fuselage and tail group using the same very similar wing to what the RV-1 had. And um, it uh, turned out to be uh, even better and well, then became the, the uh, genesis for the rest of the designs that we've come up with over the years. And the RV-3 is still actually being built today by, uh, by many builders uh, for those we, who want a single-seat aircraft. We still provide the kit for it. Yes, uh, the market is pretty slim because with our two-seat airplanes that do uh, nearly the same or better in some respects, and particularly uh, the second seat uh, offers a whole lot in the way of utility and desirability. So. There's pretty limited market for this for the RV3 anymore, but yeah, we're still still offering the kit for the people that want it. Now, there's a number missing in there. Was there ever an RV2? <clears throat> no, there was a design of an RV2. It was a flying wing sailplane that I maybe got 50% complete before I abandoned it to do the RV3. Oh. So, 1973, you actually go out and start Vans aircraft. Um, what was the 
the genesis of that? When did when did it hit you that you wanted to start that company? Uh, it evolved <laughs> from a number of, of things, but uh, I uh, found myself unemployed for a while and had already started a little fiberglass business doing subcontract work for some other kit manufacturers and uh, had done a quite a few wheel fairings, including SDC products for Pipers and Grumman's and so on. So between the, the fiberglass uh, components and marketing plans and parts, at initially not complete kits, for the RV3, then it was uh, full-time employment. Actually, uh, we should probably interject here. I don't know um, how we should have mentioned that um, at least you and I are both RV, lucky enough to be RV pilots. Absolutely. You're, you're checked out in our RV6A in the employee flying club, yep, right? Yeah, we both, uh, we both fly the RV6A, and it's, uh, it's, it's a delight to fly. You know, growing up being uh, Jerry's neighbor, we talked about uh, a little bit earlier, I had a chance to bum rides from him uh, any chance I could. And uh, as I recall, it would have at least been, at least been in a uh, six. I remember tail dragger side by side. This would have been uh, very, very early 80s. Does that sound about right to you? Uh, could be, and trying to keep everything together. I think he had an RV4 about that time. Okay, maybe. So, and 4 is a two-place, right? Well, Am I remembering right? Or? The, the, the RV4 yeah. is a two-place yeah. tandem, which he had, but then later he did have uh, kind of the pre-prototype RV6 that was called the Chard 6. Okay. It was not really our prototype, but another one-off airplane that had been built by a prolific home builder back at that time. So one way or another, um, my memory is, is uh, experiencing a few blanks there <laughs> as far as the actual uh, years and sequence of I, things. I have no idea what I had for breakfast this morning, so there's no, no apologies at this table about memory. Yeah, and, and I actually, uh, I, I th I'm lucky enough to have, I think, most of my hours in our RV6A um, out of my approximately 400 so far. And That's great. I have to say that it, it's, um, the thing that impresses me the most about it is, is the control uh, and, and the control harmony. I've taken up people who have never flown before in 172s, and I've taken up people who have never flown before in the, in the 6. And almost universally, somebody who has never flown an airplane before will have an easier time flying <laughs> an RV than they will flying a, a quote-unquote training aircraft. Um, it is a there is something remarkably intuitive about it, yeah. uh, and it's it just it always seems to do what you want it to do. Uh, all you have to do is think about it. Yeah. So I haven't flown an RV, but I have a great story here. I'll interject with uh, from the control tower. My first day checking out, uh, I didn't know what one experimental airplane was. And my tower chief gave me the instruction that if you never know what it is, just call it an RV. <laughs> so going forward, that, if you don't know what that experimental airplane is, just call him an RV and he'll know what, he, what you mean. <laughs> That's great. So, Dick, uh, that is probably a good segue into our next question. The RV series collectively are by far the most popular home-built series that's ever been built. Um, how many are flying today, do you know? Our records show about 9,650. That's just amazing. Do you have any idea what percentage <laughs> of the whole GA fleet uh, that ends up being? That's, it's got to be a noticeable number. It is a reasonable number. I don't know what the GA fleet is right sure. now. I've, I've done some calculations on that at one time or another, but it's not as high a percentage as it might seem. 
but sure. it's still significant because uh, most of the people that build them and fly them are pretty active. So uh, particularly around our home area, there are a lot of them, and um, you, you can't go to very many airports you don't have to wait long before you see one. <laughs> you see one. And when we see 49 of them in formation flying <laughs> overhead, that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty good visual testament there. Yeah. Um, and, and what models did wind up being the most popular of the series that you've created? I know, I think the 6 is probably by volume, but, of course, the, uh, the 7 is, it was, was sort of a follow-up to the 6. So, At this point, the RV6, uh, and we came out with that in 1986, so it's been around for a while. It was the first of our side-by-side airplanes, and then uh, two years later, we followed it with the 6A, which was the Trigear, our first Trigear variant. Um, found that the side-by-side configuration was much more popular because so many people learned to fly in Cessna 150s and Cherokees, and uh, not only that, just like their passengers, spouse or otherwise, to be uh, by their side rather than behind or in front. Uh, anyway, that uh, is the most popular with uh, somewhere near 2,600 completions. We replaced that airplane in, uh, I think it was year 2000, with the RV-7, which was uh, an upgrade, um, mostly uh, upgrade in that the kit was far superior, uh, much easier to put together. Uh, so it's, as a result, um, we're probably not going to see the number of RV6s increase much because we haven't sent a kit out for that many years. Sure. There are still some uh, in the in the slow process of gestation, which is typical of the home built business. But then um, the, its replacement, the RV7, is coming along st- strong. I don't remember exactly somewhere around 1,500 of those. Wow, and um, so. All told, uh, the side-by-side family, which is really the six, the seven, and the nine, which was similar but with a uh, better low-speed wing, and now the RV-14, which is really all of the this side-by-side two-seat family collectively um, represents you know six thousand airplanes or so. Wow! Any idea how many total rivets that is? No. <laughs> no, a lot of people like to joke about right. that. They say, oh, yeah, there are 12,000 rivets or 14,000, or the next guy will say 16,000, whatever. <laughs> it it kind of doesn't matter. It's just one at a time. As um, long as it's all the, the number of rivets that are in the plants, that's all that matters. Right. As long as it's the right number. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At yeah. least that many. <laughs> that actually, I, I did have uh, one question on that, uh, kind of related to that, is um, about what's your average completion time for the more modern kits? Oh, we don't really have any numbers there because um, we like to, as most kit suppliers do, make estimates to the amount of time it's going to take people to build, usually time in man hours. But even that is strictly an estimate because everybody works to a a different different clock, you might say. And as far as years, uh, this is a hobby, and people always say, well, life gets in the way. So it's kind of like, you know, if the airplane's going to take 1,500 hours to build and you work this many hours a week, it's going to take such and such. But in home building, it's rarely that well-defined. So um, 
the time it should take versus the time it does take is <laughs> sometimes vastly different. But mainly if, if you get complete, if you complete the airplane sometime within your life, hey, that's quite an accomplishment. Exactly. Well, and, and uh, how Chris and I were involved in our staff build project, it wasn't an RV, it was a Zenith 750 Stoll, but we started shortly after Labor Day, I think, and our goal was to finish by Memorial Day. Right. We did. It was, just was not that Memorial Day. Yeah, it was <laughs> actually, uh, yeah. it was... <clears throat> What was it? Was the 100-week uh, wonder the or something? week wonder, that, yes. Uh, yeah. that About two and a half years. It. <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring to it, I guess. <laughs> not, not quite. Anyway. Well, out in, in our museum, we're very fortunate to have a few examples of the RV uh, family. Um, can you tell us how do you feel when you go out there and you see those aircraft uh, in the museum? Well, obviously, it's very satisfying and very rewarding to see that uh, we've been able to design and, and build airplanes that, uh, people have been able to enjoy to the extent they have and and to uh, have um, well created that many of them well, it's interesting you know there's a lot of kids that are inspired by those airplanes uh, as a matter of fact there were you know I think four or five school groups today that were here and uh, that's one of the tour stops every group in here gets to see that uh, that display and a uh, lot of a lot of fun comments and kids you know sort of realizing they can maybe grow up and do that themselves as well. There's something powerful about seeing some of the components there and things and then actually seeing a nice gleaming finished airplane. Not one, not two, three finished airplanes, right? We have the mm -hmm. RV-1 and then the RV-3 and 4 prototypes. Right. Uh, that, is, that is very compelling. Yeah, and I've actually, I've taken several groups to the museum, um, and, you know, in my role in, in government advocacy, um, sometimes I'll be taking people through um, who are decision makers, don't necessarily know much about uh, amateur-built aircraft, and uh, a lot of times they're, they're very surprised when we go by the RV exhibit, and I, I tell them that the, these aircraft, these are built from kits. You or I could, could, you know, buy a kit and build one right now in our workshop or in our garage or in our hangar, and... Uh, that's that's a very uh, that, that, that's usually a pretty powerful statement. And it's something, of course, we we tend to take for granted, or we try not to take for granted. But it's easy to do. Of course, you can build an airplane. It's, you know, <laughs> it's it's what's done. But yeah. uh, it is it's powerful to have that and be able to just just put right in front of somebody as a tangible example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Dick, um, one aircraft or one aircraft in the RV line that um, maybe isn't quite like the others is the RV twelve, um, at least in terms of. Uh, a couple of factors, um, somewhat the outward appearance, the uh, the engine choice, uh, uh, that kind of thing, and um, that's actually going to be our sweepstakes airplane this year. is uh, is a a um, factory built SLSA Special Light Sport Aircraft RV12. Can you tell us a little bit about the design, um, some of the differences, some of the similarities, and uh, kind of where it came from? Well, the RV12 was uh, designed as a light sport airplane, so we had to design it to meet the uh, established parameters of um, stall speeds and weights and so on. So it uh, deviated from our normal sequence of uh, design evolution or expansion. Um, still a lot of the design principles and uh, structural concepts were carried over from our other airplanes, but um, one of the things we were able to do with that, uh, since it's uh, a lighter airplane as required for light sport category, 
meant that we could use a smaller, or we had to use a smaller, lighter engine, and that permitted a little difference in the cabin layout of the airplane, so we were able to position the seats or the occupants farther forward in the airplane, and that uh, provided a better vis outward view than you normally get from a low-wing airplane. So the view we get is um, a reasonable compromise between the, the upward, uh, unobstructed view of a low wing and a downward view from a high wing. So we got a very good compromise there. Other than that, though, it was just a matter of keeping the airplane as, as light and clean as possible, which are always our design parameters. And um, fortunately, even though it um, configuration-wise varied somewhat from our normal theme, the handling qualities were very good. People say, well, it flies like an RV, and that's meant to be a compliment. <laughs> it is obviously lighter. The handling qualities are a bit different, but having flown the RV-6, as you mentioned, you would definitely see the similarity getting in that airplane. So the RV grin is included uh, in uh, every package of the RV-12? At no extra price. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess one other just, just design point of question I had on the RV-12 was um, the, the choice of uh, going with full-length flaperons. Um, was that uh, a weight issue or what? Uh, the full-length flaperons on the wings were really a concession or, um, to the idea of having a removable wing. Okay. We had, uh, for easy trailerability, we designed the airplane so the wings could be removed very easily, very much like you would uh, a sailplane that are dismantled and put in trailers. Uh, we found that not too many people really use this uh, feature, but uh, it has come in con handy. Well, because of that, the way we um, connected the controls for the wing having a full span flapper on meant that we could have the actuating mechanism right at the root. So I we see. didn't have to have controls, uh, numer or multiple controls that disconnected to take the wing off. I see. So it's, it's a passive connect-disconnect for the flap-aileron combination. And uh, thus, as a s single control surface, it's full span and a, a little narrower cord than you would have if you had individual flaps and ailerons. And this is, was actually beneficial. It helped the aileron uh, response and the aileron control forces as a result. That's great. That's really interesting. And uh, some lucky winner out there is going to find this out for themselves. Once, uh, once they take possession of it. Unfortunately, we're all disqualified, so. Right. <laughs> yeah, EAA staff are not eligible to win. In a recent uh, sweepstakes, uh, my dad was really excited. He wanted to win, and then I had to point out the fine print that said, uh, employees and their immediate families. Yeah. And he just looked right at me and said, you're disowned. <laughs> just flat out. <laughs> so, and I, I mentioned that to Jack, and Jack said, I'll make it easier. You're fired. Yeah. So. That was, uh, that was the worst Christmas ever. Yeah. Always there for support. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just as long as he didn't say, well, if I took you out of the will, would you then call yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't give him any ideas. Yeah. I don't think he's listening. I don't think he knows what a podcast is yet, but he'll find out one of these days. Oh, I'm talking about my dad, not Jack. Jack knows what a podcast is, just to be clear. Um, so, Dick, how big is Vans today? How many employees? Uh, you know, that sort of thing. I believe we're right at... Uh, about 65 now 
Wow. And um, it's been fairly stable in that regard for several years. We had had uh, upwards of 75 at the peak, which was like maybe um, 2006, 2007, kind of before the economic bust. And uh, it's been fairly uh, uniform since then. Uh, it's um, Aviation is not a great growth business, as you unfortunately may know. So a uh, bit of a struggle just to hold your own anymore. So <coughs> you have anything, uh, anything on the drawing board, at least anything you can talk about? Any well, certainly nothing I can talk about. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, good. Let's talk about it then. Uh, what, uh, what does the RV50 look like in your mind? <laughs> is it a time machine? Is it does it teleport? <laughs> Well, I don't know. Did you ever, wa ever watch the Jetsons? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you're, you're killing me here. I watched the Jetsons way too much. So, so nothing, uh, nothing you can share about what might, be, uh, what might be coming other than your cryptic questions about the Jetsons. Yeah. I'm going to hold you to that one. <laughs> All right. So uh, as we get close to, uh, to wrapping things up, could you talk just a little bit about your role on the, on the board? That's, uh, that's uh, one of the reasons we're lucky enough to have you here with us today as you're visiting uh, as part of the EA Board of Directors. Well, I was uh, appointed to that position, I guess, about three years ago now as a Class Three director. And um, I was honored to uh, be selected uh, by Jack uh, for that. Uh, I thought it was probably fortuitous in a way because um, uh, I just like the idea of someone with a closer connection to the kit aircraft industry being on the board and getting that, that uh, phase of the organization a little better represented. So um, I've been trying to bring my experience to bear uh, in little ways there. My, um, well, whatever input I can have that I think will benefit that part of our organization. Well, we certainly appreciate your service uh, on the board um, and, uh, and I, everything you bring to the community. It's, uh, it's almost overwhelming when you think about uh, the contributions that, uh, that you've made over the years. Um, you know, I, uh, I smile and, and uh, under my breath say a quiet thank you every time I fly the RV-6 that we've got here for very, you know, very selfish reasons. But... Uh, but across the board, this community would absolutely not be anything like what it is uh, without, uh, without you and Vans Aircraft. Well, thank you. Obviously, we have to give a little bit of credit to those almost 10,000 people that have had enough faith in us to purchase the kits and to spend all the time building them. Absolutely. And, uh, also, sort of to become um, unpaid sales people for us. <laughs> That's got to be a powerful feeling for you to know, to think about that many people out there who have uh, focused so much of their lives to complete the project and then and then in return they're getting so much joy out of, uh, out of that effort that they put in. That's no, it, it, it has been a, a, a quite a journey and uh, I hope to stay involved as many years as I can. That's wonderful. Well, Dick, thank you again so much for taking some time to be here with us today. Uh, we really, really do appreciate it. 
And uh, to everyone out there who's uh, who's listening, uh, a lot of you have been uh, been great about leaving us some feedback and writing some reviews. Please do keep those things coming. Uh, we do need a like some magic minimum number of uh, ratings on iTunes before we can actually see what those are. So, in in the best EA spirit, uh, this podcast is an experiment, and uh, the only way we know if it's working is if you is if you tell us. So uh, we'll listen to all feedback. Um, I listen to the good feedback, and then Tom and Chris have to deal with the bad feedback because <laughs> it's usually about me. Um, so with that, then, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Keep that feedback coming, and we'll see you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot.